0: You're listening to the world of higher education podcast, season one, episode 13.
1: Hello everyone. And welcome to the world of higher education podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Nigerian higher education. Economically and politically, Nigeria is one of Africa's powerhouses. Yet when it comes to higher education, it trails significantly. And today to help us understand why that's the case is my guest Dr. Olabisi Deji-Bolutile, who is editor-in-chief of Frank Talk Now and chief operating officer of AF24 News, and who writes frequently on higher education matters from Lagos. Many of the Nigerian system woes are economic in nature. As an oil state, one would expect funding to be tied to the prevailing world price for hydrocarbons and hence be somewhat volatile. Yet unfortunately, that's really all Nigerian higher education institutions have to rely on. An active political student movement has seen to it that universities can't charge anything beyond essentially symbolic tuition fees. That means that institutions are severely constrained financially, and lengthy strikes, which paralyze large parts of the system all at once, are common. That doesn't mean that Nigerian students absolutely refuse to pay for education. Tens of thousands of them go abroad, particularly to the UK, to get an education, and hundreds of thousands attend private universities within the countries as well private institutions with solid foundations, mainly those supported by some connection to a church or denomination, actually look pretty good compared to public universities. But there are other issues in play at Nigeria as well. The issue of violence on campus and the presence there of organized gangs on university campuses known as cults, though the term is not religious in origin, have been a recurring source of concern. All told, Nigerian higher education is in need of some serious reforms, and Dr. Deji Folutile provides us with an excellent outline of how those reforms need to be prioritized. Have a listen. Good morning, Olabisi. Thanks for being on the show. Can we start just with describing the Nigerian higher education system for those who don't know about it? What types of institutions exist there? What, if anything, distinguishes the structure of Nigerian higher education system from others in Africa?
2: We have a system that is just like the one built on in the United States of America. That is, we have universities that award degrees, first degree, master, doctoral, and postdoctoral. Now, in terms of structure, we have federal universities, we have state universities, and we also have private universities. Now, the federal universities are controlled by the federal government, state universities by the state government, and the private universities by their owners. Now, aside from universities, the higher education system in Nigeria also covers polytechnics, monotechnics, and colleges of education. So in all, we have about Over 160 universities in all in Nigeria. And out of this, 43 of them are federal universities. So basically, that is the structure. And it's not exactly different from what is done in other African countries. Just that the only difference I can point out is the universities in South Africa, for example, could be well-funded making them to be more recognized. but I think in terms of structure, they are basically the same. We run same structure across Africa.
1: So you mentioned the difference between state and federal universities. There aren't many places in the world where both levels of government fund a different set of universities. The only other one I can think of off the top of my head is India. Is there any difference at all between the state universities and the federal universities other than who's paying the bills? Do they specialize in
2: different areas? No, they don't. Just about the bills. All of them are controlled, for example, by the National Universities Commission, which is the coordinating agency for all universities in Nigeria. The difference is the fact that the federal government pays the bill for federal universities. For states, the state governments pay the bills. And also in terms of uh, the governing councils, while the federal government is in charge in federal universities, states are in charge in state-owned universities. I when I talk about the governing councils. I also mean appointments of vice chancellors and other governing council, which could be either academics or non-academic members of councils. Also the state universities, while the federal universities allow every part of the country to be admitted, but state universities are basically established to cater for the educational needs of their students. So they are more interested in capturing Indigenous, people from their states, they lay more emphasis on that than federal universities. So what that means is that you can have a university, a state-owned university in Lagos, for example, having about 70% of students coming from Lagos State and just giving 30% quota to any other student from any other parts of Nigeria.
1: So Nigeria, of course, is, you know, governments are reliant on oil revenues to maintain public expenditures, and these can be very volatile. So I know that the country has gone through some, uh, some ups and downs in the way that it's funded higher education. In some countries, student fees are used to help institutions maintain a stronger level of base funding, you know, particularly when times are bad. Is this the case in Nigeria? And if not, why not?
2: Well, unfortunately, that is not the case in Nigeria. This is because most public-owned universities in Nigeria, in fact, all are tuition-free. That method of generating funds from tuition is not just available. What most uh, students pay in Nigerian uh, universities are maybe fees for registration, fees for little things. So you find a student paying less than $100, for example for a whole year. The state universities charge a little bit more. People are that they are also limited because you see education is also linked to politics in Nigeria. For example, if you are a state-owned university and you try to charge students money, well, the time we come where you will need their votes and they will tell you that no, we cannot vote for you because you are making our children to pay for education. In case in mind this Lagos State about ten years ago, when the former governor, who is now the Minister of Works in Nigeria, Radi Fashola, decided to increase the school fees of Lagos State University, and it actually increased significantly about three hundred percent. But when the time of re- his re-election came, he had to bring down the price to. 25000 25, naira is less than 50 American dollars. He had to do that because he needed the votes. So we don't have that as a institution fee in Nigeria. That accounts for some of the major problems we have when it comes to funding. And I also think that is why we have issues with strikes and, I mean, lecturers going on strikes and poor payments for sure as to, because that tuition isn't just a way of funding for higher education in Nigeria.
1: Yeah, I was just about to mention that. I mean, one consequence of inadequate funding is that faculty pay can be quite low and that can turn into pay disputes. Nigerian public universities might be world champions in terms of days lost to strikes. I know you've had strikes that have gone at least a year. And I understand that there has been in the last few months, quite a spate of strikes as well. What's the state of labor relations in Nigerian universities right now?
2: Well, I'm not proud of that statistic. The last one was for eight months. Before then we had nine months' strike, which took about a whole academic section. So now the maturers are at work, but we can't say that all is still well. Because the reasons for the last strike are still there. As a matter of fact, by the time the lecturers were calling off the last strike, we started in February. By the time they were calling it off in October, the union told Nigerians that they were not satisfied with the outcome of the strike. But the lecturers had no choice but to go back to work at the time they did because the government had already taken them to court. What are the issues? Basically, they're talking about non-payments of some allowances that are due to them, the non-implementation of previous government agreements as to the announcement of facilities and structures. Those issues are still there. As a matter of fact, the major issue in the last strike was the payment structure for lecturers because the government shifted them to what it's called IPIS, that's uh, a unified payment structure for all civil servants, which they rejected and came up with their own uterus. But the federal government rejected that, but often now the lecturers are still being paid based on that UPIS, which they rejected, which was a major reason for them to go on strike. So the reasons for the strike are still there, and we cannot say the relationship between the federal government and the labor is good for now. It's still shaking and anything can still happen.
1: Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
0: Higher Education Strategy Associates presents HESA Roundtable, Artificial Intelligence in Post-Secondary Institutions. Join Alex Usher and higher education professionals across the sector on Thursday, May 18th from 3 till 4.30 p.m. Eastern for a free roundtable discussion on how post-secondary institutions are responding to rapid introduction of large language models. This free one-and-a-half-hour session will be hosted on Zoom. To register for the event or for more information, please email info at higheredstrategy.com.
1: And we're back. Well, let me see another issue on Nigerian campuses is that of gang violence. This keeps cropping up in news reports around Nigerian universities. Historically, the place of confraternities or cults on Nigerian universities goes back to the early days after independence and a certain, you know, organizations to promote a nationalist ideology supported by a number of prominent students, including Nobel Prize-winning author Wole Soyinka. But at some point, these organizations turned to violence right, and led to the presence of gangs working in leagues with local politicians sometimes. And that's kind of become endemic on some public university campuses. What's the country's recent experience in this regard?
2: Well, yeah, I would like to say that it used to be worse, really. It has gone down in many universities in the southern parts of the country. The case is only prevalent now in the southern eastern part of the country where we also have violent clashes that are not necessarily about students or cultism. But I will also admit here that we we still have issues with cultism and violence on campuses. But I need to also point out that these are also areas where we have a secessionist uh, movement where some people are also killing and shedding blood from time to time because they think that they are not getting a fair share, share of the confederation called Nigeria. They call them ICO and they are seeking to secede from Nigeria.
1: Right. So this is the area that was once known as Biafra. Yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, how does the state of higher education? in Nigeria play out politically. The country just had a very competitive presidential election. Did higher education figure at all in the debate? Do any of the political parties stake out a distinctive position on higher education?
2: Unfortunately not. Other mundane issues were allowed to take over the political space. The current president did say that he would introduce tuition and grants but we still don't know how that is going to play out, because like I explained to you earlier on, that politics control this issue of payments, of tuition in Nigerian universities. He promised that there won't be a strike during his own tenure. That is going to ensure that we don't know yet. But we can't really say that higher education was a major issue in our politics.
1: Got it. So it seems natural that in a situation such as Nigeria's, where the ability of public universities to provide a reliable service to students, isn't guaranteed that private sector alternatives would emerge. And you said that at the outset of the interview, you know, there is a private higher education sector in Nigeria. Some of these universities have managed to develop some really first class facilities in a short space of time. And I'm thinking specifically of institutions like Redeemer's University which was where the Ebola virus was first sequenced and which was admitted to the World Bank's African Centers of Excellence program ahead of many, you know, allegedly more prestigious public institutions. But how healthy is the private higher education sector in Nigeria really? I mean, both financially and in terms of quality, is it uniformly good? Is it uniformly weak? Is there a mix of the two? How do people see the private
2: higher education sector in Nigeria? Well, I will describe them as a mix of the two. Some, like I explained earlier on, we have 79 of them now. lot of them are very strong financially because they are owned by mission organizations. For example, Redeemers, you mentioned, is owned by the Redeemed Christian Church of God. Then we have a few privately owned that are owned by private individuals that are known to be very wealthy. And mind you, because these universities are also charging fees, I think they have enough money to probably augment whatever the owners are putting in place. For example, Covenant University charges a million naira. That is talking about $6,000 to $7,000 in the year. And uh, a lot of them, we charge even more than that. They have a stronger financial base than the public universities. Also because they have more control over their academic staff in that, uh, they ensure quality assurance. For example, you know you have to do your work. They are, universities like Coventus, for example, allow them to rate their lecturers' performance. And when this is done, you know, the lecturers don't have a hiding place, unlike what is happening in many public institutions. So basically, many Nigerians who can afford this would like their children to go to these privately owned universities, but just that not many people can afford the money. So I think basically they are doing well. Of course, there will be some also that are not doing too well because of the number of students they have in their financial, their strong financial base. But I think they are, they are quite.
1: I mean, another alternative to domestic public universities is foreign universities, and you know, some of which charge very high fees. I remember seeing a statistic almost a decade ago that suggested that Nigerian students were spending more money on tuition in foreign universities than they were in domestic universities. How common is it for Nigerian students to leave the country to study? Is that number increasing? And where do they end up
2: going? Well, Nigerians are traveling. They go anywhere. But uh, even your statistics, I will give you the one that is for 2022. The UK Office, the Nigerian students uh, contributed £1.9 billion to the economy of the United Kingdom in the 2021-2022. Uh, Academic year, right? Nigerians are traveling, but I think they go more to the UK. Our latest uh, statistics show us that there is an over three hundred percentage increase in the number of Nigerian students or in the number of student visas that the UK granted Nigeria in 2022. Right now, we have about 40. 5,000 Nigerians that are studying in the UK in the 2021-2022 academic session. And when you want to look at the combination of that with their families, there are over 60,000. Nigerians go everywhere, but their most popular destination for education is the UK. And the reason is very simple. Since the UK, you know, reviewed its policy of allowing their international students can work three years before going back or if they are able to get sponsors they can stay in the uk permanently nigerians flooded the uk and also because of its policy of allowing children to come along with their family they see that as a very good opportunity for them to relocate with their family to a better place their process is very straightforward you have your money you give us your money you deposit your money we have access to what we have. Then you show us the proof of funding, all of that. Then you can come over. So I think UK is getting most of Nigerian students. Even though before the war, Ukraine was also a good destination. And Cyprus, though there are issues with Cyprus, but some Nigerians still go there. Why
1: Cyprus? Why is that such a popular destination? Yeah, because it's cheaper. So my last question here, Nigeria is Africa's largest and in some respects, most resource-rich country. It should be the home of Africa's most powerful universities too. But clearly there's a long way to go. If you had to pick out three major policy changes to get the country's higher education system moving in the right direction, what
2: would they be? I would first of all start with autonomy. By autonomy, I mean universities being autonomous in governance and administration. There is too much interference right now of government into the activities of these universities, both at the federal and the state level. By autonomy, universities will be able to determine how to run their universities, whether they want to charge students and how much they want to charge. We've talked about autonomy in Nigerian universities but they are not really autonomous. Government still maintains a large scale of control over the universities, and this affects a lot of things. Now, I will also talk about uh, increasing capacity, measures to increase the capacity of the academics, measures to increase infrastructure and all of that, because lecturers need training and retraining. And part of this is also increase in salary. For lecturers, lecturer salaries in Nigeria is very poor, very unfortunately, very poor. And uh, you have professors that hand less than one thousand dollars. That's and they have more than twenty years of experience. So I think that increasing the capacity, increasing their pay and infrastructure, then uh, we want universities to charge tuition fees. I think that it is. High-time Nigerian like universities started charging tuition. This is what obtains all over the world. Then we cannot institute scholarships. We can offer grants. We can introduce student loans. But their students should be allowed to pay for their education because the major problem of our universities or higher education now is this is lack of funding and. If we don't bridge this, a lot of things will be affected. It's going to affect research. It's going to affect uh, welfare of lecturers. We are going to be having labor crisis, lecturers going on strike. When students pay, students will be able to even demand more quality from their lecturers. They will be able to hold the lecturers responsible for whatever they are giving them. Right now, they can't do that because... They don't have control. That's why lecturers can go on strike as they like and shut down universities for as long as eight months, and the students are just helpless. That can't happen if they are paying for their education. So let me just put them simply. I would like to see a situation where universities are really autonomous in practice, not just in need. I would like to see a system where students are paying to get whatever education they are getting and their university education is priced appropriately, not just paid, appropriate yeah. pricing. Then I would like to see a situation where the welfare of the academic staff and the non-academic staff in these universities are well taken care of. So that Nigerian university lecturers can compete favorably with their counterparts in other parts of the world. Those are the basic things I would like to see.
1: Perfect. And that's all the time we have for today. Dr. Olavisi, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And it just remains for me to thank this show's excellent producers, Tiffany McLennan and Sam Pufek, and you, the listeners, for tuning in. If you have any comments or suggestions for future podcasts, please do get in touch with us at podcast at higheredstrategy.com. Join us next week when our guest will be Javier Botero, education sector consultant at the World Bank and former vice minister of higher education in Colombia. He will be joining us to talk about the evolution of Colombian higher education and the challenges facing the agenda of that country's new president, Gustavo Petro. Bye for now.
0: The World of Higher Education podcast is a Higher Education Strategy Associates production produced by Tiffany McLennan and Samantha Pufik, hosted by Alex Usher. Music by T. Bless and the Professionals. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.